zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Holy Half Hour, episode 15. 15. Um, Michael, hello. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Kieran, how are you? I'm well, thank you, my friend. I'm looking forward to this. We have an exciting show lined up. I've got a really interesting question for you. Mm. A real beard scratcher, a real stumper. Yeah, can you hear Michael scratching his beard, listeners? There it is. Oh, there it is. Oof, that's nasty. <laughs> um, well, I'm excited, Kieran. Uh, can I just ask you a question? Um, sure. Are we here right now, or are we off somewhere beautiful in a tropical island? That's a great question, Michael. Uh, as you know, listeners, if if you've been with us a while, this show is pre-recorded. Uh, this may shock you, but this is not live, the, the podcast you're, you're listening <laughs> Pod- to right now. Podcasts are not but a live we- medium, Exactly, exactly. But we are actually away at the moment. Michael and I have recorded a bunch of episodes back to back, and we're basically not around for sort of July, the rest of July into sort of late August. So that is just to say, if you write to us, and we have been getting lots of lovely emails, which is totally awesome, please keep them coming. Yes. But we will probably not pick them up and respond to them until sort of end of August, early September, just to let you know. Absolutely. But we want you to know that we read every email and we Mm -hmm. uh, will respond either online by reading them out. Um, or if we don't read them out for whatever reason, maybe you just want to give us your opinion but not be read out, you can absolutely do that. Uh, we'll just send you an email back. So do send yeah. them in. But, you know, if you don't hear them read out, then that's why. Yeah, we would love to hear from you. Do do continue to write into us uh, at hello at holyhalfhour.co.uk. Even though we won't be reading those emails until end of August, early September, probably. Please do continue to get in touch because we love it. Oh, yes. Well, Michael. Why don't we crack on with the show? Let's do it. Michael and Kieran. Michael and Kieran. Michael and Kieran. Michael and Kieran. So my game this week, Michael, is about Bible animals. We're going to have a Bible animal showdown. Ooh. We're going to pit. We're going to pit a variety of beasts, both real and maybe slightly mythical uh-huh. against each other and see who comes out on top. <laughs> cool. This this is actually this is based on I, I gave a far too long ramble uh in episode thirteen about how I'd been we I'd been doing the World Cup of Crisps with some friends, mm-hmm. which is a game in a it's in a book by Richard Osman. I think it's called World Cup of Everything. He actually has a book of these. We did World Cup of Crisps where you pit crisps against each other in different heats and mm-hmm. you come out with the best crisps in the country, which for us was knickknacks. Nice oh, and really? spicy knickknacks nice one. Yeah. Yeah. Nice um we are gonna do that with Bible animals today, Michael. Cool. So I've put some Bible animals into different heats, uh-huh. and I'm going to read you a little bit of a description of them, uh-huh. and I just want you to decide who wins from each heat. So who wins and in we'll a fight? Through, or? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Let's let's <laughs> <laughs> let's read them because I've I've sort of put, I've sort of put similar types of creature together. Uh-huh. So they could fight each other. They could fight each other. Okay. Um, so let me read you the first two and you can, uh, we can see what we think. <laughs> okay. Sounds um, good. All right. 
so heat number one. In this corner, we have the whale, also referred to as the great fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's referred to referred to as the whale in Matthew, and it's the creature that swallowed Jonah. That's so true. big, big, nasty fish, possibly a whale. All right. Okay. So that's our first contender. The whale is up against Leviathan. Ooh, Leviathan. Leviathan is a word that we find six times in the Hebrew Bible, and there are lots of interpretations of what it means. Um, but broadly, it's a sea monster. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> of some kind, uh, real or mythical, not really sure. Yeah. But it's some sort of sea monster. Okay. So that, this is round one, Michael. Uh-huh. Who do you think wins? <laughs> so round one, who wins against the whale and the leviathan? But you're giving me absolutely yeah, no yeah. sense of what the competition is between them. <laughs> Let's so. say it's a fight. <laughs> I, th- I think really we have to say it's a fight, don't we? Well, I would so. say that in this, whatever the competition between the whale and the leviathan, I think leviathan has to win. Because mm. if it's a fight, what's a whale going to do? Most of them are, are filter feeders, <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. they're they're not going to be doing anything. They're, we know the size mm. of the whale. Generally speaking, we're, we're imagining a leviathan is bigger. You know, it's cooler because yeah. it's unknown and mythical and a bit mysterious. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just think uh, whatever the metric is, leviathan all the way. Yeah. That's, you know, that's sure. where I'm going. Would, would a killer whale sway you at all? I guess they're not very big, are they, killer whales? Yeah. Killer whale's not a whale either. It's a... It's a it's a cetacean. It's a it's a, in the dolphin family. So oh really? So it can get oh, right nice. out. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't know that. Okay, we have a winner. Ding ding ding! It's Leviathan Woo! going through Come our on. next showdown. In this corner, we have the Behemoth or Behemoth. Mm-hmm. Not really sure what the uh, conventional pronunciation is. Uh, this is generally used in scripture, I think, as a term for large beasts, but it probably refers particularly to the hippo or rhino. Mm. So there's a few things it could be, but in general, it's land monster. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) In the other corner, we have the bull. In Psalm 22, the bull is a symbol of fierce and relentless adversaries. So we have the behemoth and we have the bull. Who wins this one, Michael? Well, it's you a decide. hard one because it just depends if you're going to say that a behemoth is a hippo or if a behemoth is an unknown <laughs> land monster. Gosh, what do I think? This is a more difficult one. Um, obviously, if we're actually fighting, hippopotamus is going to take out the bull all the way. Bulls like mm. angrier and look scarier mm. with horns. And I mean, bulls are insanely yeah. muscular. I mean, if you've ever been right. close to a bull, they're quite terrifying. Um, mm, but mm. Um, hippopotamuses, they're like super fast, super hardy, and they can swim too. Well, they, I don't think hippopotamuses swim, do they? They walk on the bottom of the water or something like that. I think I seem to remember. Is that right? I mean, I mm. could be wrong. Um, but at the same time, this is this is a this is a um, whoever made this up made this up as a person, and I think people are going to be more scared of bulls because we've seen bullfighting we know that they're not to be messed with so even though i Mm. think a hippopotamus will take a bull in the fight i think that bull is is the winner of this one because i think that's the you're back in the bull i think that would be the general consensus the popular vote will go to Mm. the bull i think Mm. okay okay all right well the bull is through 
So we're on to round three. In this corner we have The Locust. One of the worst. This is from Wikipedia. All, all the information I'm quoting is from Wikipedia, by the way. The Locust. One of the worst scour- scourges of the East, very often often referred to in the Bible. As many as nine Hebrew words signify either the locust in general or some species of locust. So they turn up a lot. Mm. They're considered a, a serious pest. They are one of the plagues um, that uh, the Egyptians are afflicted by. Mm-hmm. They're not uh, particularly regarded as a particularly pleasant little little beastie in the Bible. And they are up against, in the other corner, scorpion. Okay. Very common in all hot, dry, stony places. Mm-hmm. And in scripture, they are, in at least one example, taken as an emblem of the wicked. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not referring to the guy from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Get this over is... here. <laughs> the actual creature the scorpion scorpion versus locust well i'm gonna keep this one short kieran it's locust all the way okay because scorpion yeah scorpion's gonna kill you totally poisonous creepy looking dangerous but it's only gonna kill mm. you if you mess with it or if you're unfortunate enough to get one in your boots locust mm. that's gonna like ruin your whole nation and eat all your crops and kill many many people because it's all about the swarm yeah you just don't want a swarm yeah. of locust. So, yeah, I've got to yeah. give this one to locust. Come on. I, I think that makes sense. I, I agree. I think the locust wins out in this case. Okay. And our final uh, heat of round one. I don't know anything about sports, so I don't know what terms to use. But we've got one more fight, and then we're on to the next uh, round of fights. Okay. So, in this corner, the cockatrice. Mm-hmm. According to Wikipedia, a fabulous serpent, I love that it says fabulous, a fabulous serpent, supposed to be produced from a cock's egg, brooded by a serpent. It was alleged that its hissing would drive away all other serpents, and that its breath, even its look, was fatal. The word is used in the AV, I assume that means authorised version. Oh, uh, it goes on to talk about some Hebrew, I can't even pronounce. Um, But anyway... Uh, the cockatrice, obviously a mythical animal, mm-hmm. but apparently mentioned in at least some uh, versions of the Bible. The cockatrice is up against the dragon. Um. Now, the dragon <laughs> has multiple meanings uh, in scripture, from sea creatures to crocodiles to the devil. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just very symbolic animal. Everybody knows or has some concept of what a dragon looks like. But who wins, Michael? Dragon. Come on. I mean... Well, that was easy. Get this out. Yeah, I mean... Come on. Although if a cockatrice can kill with a look, I mean, that's pretty formidable, right? Yeah, but you get the feeling that even if it could do that, it's not going to be doing that to a dragon. Like, dragon will have some other other power that nerfs that. Like, there's no way that a dragon is going to be killed with a look from anything. Never mind a cockatrice. Yeah, well, I guess a dragon can just, uh, I don't know, maybe they have multiple eyelids. Like, do some some lizards have that? Mm, Yeah, I think so. Maybe they've got some way of shielding against the deadly look of the (laughs) cockatrice. (laughs) It's a very important, very important theological discussion, listeners, that we're having today. Okay, so the dragon is through. Not really a surprise there. Our next round is between the bull, Michael, Mm -hmm. and the locust. (laughs) Who wins between the bull and the locust? Well, I mean, this will be interesting. You know, the bull's gonna gonna beat a locust any day of the week if it's one locust, right? But a bull's got to eat, mm-hmm. and a locust 
they just keep coming and they're going to eat all the yeah. bull's feed and food. And eventually, it's going to take a long time. It's going to be a war of attrition, but the bull will be defeated by the locust. I just can't see any other way. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's a good point. I think that the locust is going to play the long game. Yeah. That's their strategy. Um, that's how they approach war warfare. Um, <laughs> well so I think that, that, so I think you're right, Michael. I think that's absolutely <laughs> absolutely factually correct. The locust wins. Woo-woo. Okay, next round <laughs> is Leviathan versus Dragon. Okay, this one's tough. So we've got we've got sea monster, mm-hmm. big sea monster versus winged dragony monster. Mm. You know. I keep thinking about submarines, you know? Leviathan, Mm -hmm. if you're imagining, I don't know, like a giant squid or some kind of sea monster, it's a mythical sea monster, therefore it's diving to huge depths because it's the only way it hasn't been discovered, right? So it Mm. must be so robust to be able to deal with the pressure that would be, you know, the pressure if you go down even just 100 meters under the water is so intense that imagine if you go miles deep, like, yeah, I just don't see a dragon as formidable as a dragon is being able to do enough damage to something with that constitution. And a dragon, even though it's a lizard, it's a flying lizard. Well, it depends on your dragon lore, obviously. Um, <laughs> some dragons don't fly. But if you think about a flying dragon, you know, you're going to have to you're going to have to sacrifice some robustness for aerodynamic and lightness enough to fly so i just think that if it comes down to it a leviathan could potentially crush a dragon if it gets a good hit on it so i'm given to leviathan Mm. Mm. i I, i'm with you i mean i think that uh in this in this very uh real and important battle between the leviathan and the dragon Mm. uh i I think that's the battle's going to be on leviathan's terms isn't it yeah exactly Leviathan is a, is an ocean creature, so and uh, you know usually the home team wins. Yeah, exactly. is a thing that I've heard about sports. <laughs> so uh, yeah, exactly. I think that's fair. I think it's a good shout. Yeah, Leviathan, which means that our final <laughs> is Leviathan versus Locust. Mm. Yeah, this is a tough one because. Now we're trying to think of a, tough one. of a world in which Leviathan and Locust fight. Um, yes, how are they ever going to bump into each other? <laughs> and and Locust can't play the long game with this one because Leviathan's in the ocean. What are they going to do? Eat all the crops in the ocean? No. Well, so, uh, exactly. They can't, they can't starve them out. Exactly. There's no siege tactics here that are going to work. Yeah, I think, I think what's going to either happen here is they're both going to lose interest and and therefore there won't be a fight or if there is a fight um you know how do you measure success in a war against leviathan and locust i would imagine that if if any damage is done like if leviathan kills one locust then technically you know even though there's a million more it still did more damage to the locust than uh, the, than the locust did to the leviathan so you know i'm saying i'm saying leviathan's going to come up locusts are going to be swarming it's going to take a swap. Yeah. It's yeah. going to kill a locust. Both parties are going to lose interest. 
much like the listeners in this game. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, uh, I'm on the edge of my seat. (laughs) I'm absolutely, I'm so glad we did this because I think this is a fascinating discussion. And and then, (laughs) you know, the the scoreboard is going to show that Leviathan won. Locust nil. So, uh, you know. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Le- Leviathan winner. <laughs> Leviathan. Winner. You win. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> uh, what do you think, uh, if you were to assign a special move to Leviathan and Locust, they each mm. get a special move, what would what would they be? I think Locust's special move has to be smother. Um, <laughs> you know, where... <laughs> Locusts just completely cover the, uh, yeah. the uh, enemy. Death, death <laughs> by a thousand cuts. Um, their little yeah. mandibles yeah. just biting in. But you know that's just not yeah. going to do any damage to Leviathan. And, no. and then no. you've got two options for Leviathan. I think it's kind of a two special move. It's going to have a smash attack, where it just brings yeah. its mighty weight to bear on its opponent. Totally. Um, or a submerge attack where it literally just like like a like an alligator does a death roll, just grabs its opponent and takes it underwater because you know most of these opponents the Leviathan's facing is uh, are not underwater. So, I mean that's my my professional opinion. Kieran, how about yeah. you? What do you think of this? <laughs> what do you think the special attacks are? Well, I, I don't know, man. I, I feel like it would be cool if Leviathan had some sort of water gun, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, but how much use it, that would be against against locusts? I don't know. Mm. Um, I don't know for the locust. I think I think smother is a good. It's a good. Uh, yeah, good tactic. Um, but <laughs> whatever their special moves are, Michael, I thank you for humoring me <laughs> by playing this ridiculous game. Bible animals, gotta catch them all. <laughs> Okay, Kieran, my game for you today is kind of a a Bible Top Trumps-based thing. Did you ever play Top Trumps, Kieran? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Every Christmas, we got as children in our stockings, my brother and I at least got a set of Top Trumps, or at least one of us got a set of Top Trumps. Um, For those of you who've never played Top Trumps, it would be like Top Trumps sports cars or Top Trumps, um, I don't know buildings and it would give you some facts like how fast they can go how what year they were made how much they cost when they were built etc etc and you would have to try to beat the other person uh their score or get it lower than so i'd have a car you'd have a car and i'd be like is your top speed lower than 190 miles per hour and you'd be like yes and i'd be like then my car you get i get your card (laughs) Anyway, great times. So much fun. And I put together, because I'm a massive nerd, a Top Trump's spreadsheet of books in the Bible. (laughs) So I've got uh, (laughs) all the books down. I've got the verses, the chapters, the number of times they mentioned certain words, the year they were written, the person they were suspected to be written by, all that kind of stuff. Um, And yeah, I've, I've mined it for some information and for some questions. And long story short, I'm going to ask you a question, um, which will have potentially more than one correct answer. You get one point if you get a correct answer, and you get Mm -hmm. just a huge, big, special brownie point, which would be worth five if anyone was counting points, um, if you get the best answer, the best possible answer. That makes sense? So there's multiple good answers, but can you also get the best answer? If you do, then you're very... 
you've done a very, very good job. So are you ready for question number one? Yes. Okay, here we go. The Gospel of Mark contains the word Jesus 111 <laughs> times. There are three books in the Bible that contain the word Jesus more yeah. times. Can you name one of them? Or, hmm. I mean, can you name the best one? Well, or can you name all three? I mean, it'd be crazy if you could, but... Well, perhaps it's arrogance on my part, Michael, but I think I know exactly which three books it is. What? <laughs> that also contain a lot of mentions of Jesus I, I mean, in the Bible. If you know this, then uh, I am amazed. And, you know, I think they're all also longer than Mark. Mm -hmm. So that might be why, perhaps. All right, well, what's your answer? Uh, but but do you want me to try and guess what the top one is? Well, why don't you is tell me goal? which three books you think? Because I, I, you only have to answer one. You only have to say the name of one book. But if you can get all three, okay. and if you can guess the one that says Jesus the most, then I'm just going to be blown away. So Okay, okay. Well, I think that the three are Matthew, Luke, and John. Well, you are indeed correct. And, well done. Hey, if I had to guess which one is top, though, mm -hmm. I'm going to guess that... It's difficult. It is difficult. This is a tricky. I I'm gonna say Matthew. It's a good strong guess. Matthew but it's, is I think it's between Matthew and John. I think I think it's between Matthew and John. But I'm gonna say Matthew. You're right. It is between those two. Luke has Jesus <laughs> 112 times, just once more than Mark. Yeah. Matthew 184. Okay. John 250 times says Jesus. Oh, so wow. it is okay. John okay. in fact. But you still get a very big shiny point for getting all three right. Well done. Very impressive. Nice. So number two, the Old Testament book Nehemiah has 13 chapters. There are 17 Old Testament books which have fewer chapters, fewer than 13 <laughs> chapters. Can you name one okay. of them? So you've got 17 to choose from. Can you name one book yeah. which has fewer than 13 chapters? And for a huge brownie point this time, really huge because it's tough. Do you know which Old Testament book has the fewest chapters? Oof. So the one I think that maybe has the fewest mm -hmm. is Lamentations. It's a very strong no. guess. No, it's not Lamentations. It's a minor prophet who has mm. even less. But I don't know who it is. But Lamentations is definitely one that has less than 13 chapters. Nice. Is it, so you're going um, with Lamentations? Well, if I, I could guess at a minor prophet, but I'd be just like throwing out a random name. And I don't actually know how long their books are. <laughs> well... Uh, would you like to know? Let's say Nahum or Nahum. Nahum. Well, Nahum is a better answer than Lamentations, so well done. Okay, okay. Lamentations is correct. Lamentations has five chapters. Nahum or Nahum or Nahum has three chapters. Ooh, okay, okay. There's only two books shorter than that. Habakkuk has three uh -huh. as well. Shorter than right, both right. is Haggai, which has two, and Obadiah uh -huh. has one. Oh, I, I, I promise you, I wanted to say Obadiah, oh, but then I was well, like, should have gone with your instincts. I, I'm not even 100% certain <laughs> that's a book in the Old Testament. And so to avoid looking ridiculous, I didn't say it. Oh, bless And you. now I look ridiculous. You do. Well, just quickly for those at home, <laughs> Ruth has four, Ezra has 10, Esther has 10, Song of Solomon has eight, Lamentations has five, Daniel has 12, Joel has three, Amos has nine, Obadiah has one, Jonah four, Micah seven, Nahum three, Habakkuk three, Zephaniah three, Haggai two, and Malachi four. Those are the 17 books of the Bible that were all correct answers. Well done if you got one. 
This is very cool, man. Uh, this is very, very interesting information. Well done oh, thank you. Uh, for putting this together. Uh, it, I'm guessing it took substantially more work than my game did. Uh, I was just like, oh, what biblical animals? Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm saying nothing. Here's question number three. <laughs> With 13 chapters and 257 verses... 2 Corinthians is the third longest New Testament letter written by Paul. But can you name one or both of Paul's letters that are longer than 2 Corinthians? So there are two Paul's letters that are longer. Can Mm -hmm. you name either one or both? And for a big old bonus point, which one is the longest? Mm. So 2 Corinthians is the third longest of Paul's letters. I I think Hebrew oh well but we don't know who wrote Hebrews do we because I think I think Hebrews is maybe longer than Second Corinthians but clever clever Michael <laughs> is going to say it doesn't count. Uh, You're right. Hebrews oof. was not written by Paul or at least we cannot prove <laughs> and we don't know the author and it's suggested yeah, that it yeah. was not Paul because the the prose is quite different. So if I can't say Hebrews, I'm actually not sure. Romans is long. Mm-hmm. It's pretty long. I'm not confident that it's longer than Second Corinthians off the top of my head. Uh, so, but I can't think of anything else. So you're going to so guess for the Romans? Sake of, for the sake of brevity <laughs> and having less dead audio to get, edit out, I'm just going to say it's Romans. Well, Kieran, Romans is a correct answer to the question. Well hey, done. What a relief. Romans has relief. 16 chapters, 433 <laughs> verses, uh, which is greater mm. than Second Corinthians 13 with 257. There is one book also which is has 16 chapters. This one has 437 verses. That is 1 Corinthians. Um, ah. So I haven't gone down to the how many words the book has. So I'm not actually sure if Romans is longer than 1 Corinthians. It has more verses in 1 Corinthians, but you never know. Romans might have wordier verses. So um, mm, okay. that, that okay. remains to be seen. All right. Well mm. done, though. You're doing really good. You've gotten points in every question so far. So number four is... Exodus is a pretty lordy book, with Lord appearing 349 times. There are six Old Testament books which contain Lord more times. Can you name one of them? So which books have more Lords than Exodus? Yeah. So I I feel like at least a couple of those are going to be in the Pentateuch. They're going to be in the the Big Five Mm -hmm. or whatever... uh, as the Hebrews call it. No, they don't call it the Big Five. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> um, I think they call it the Torah. Right, right. Yeah, good shout. That uh, I've heard that. That's, that sounds legit. I think I've heard that before. <laughs> yep. No, of course it is called that, of course. Um, so I'm floating around sort of Leviticus numbers kind of territory, mm-hmm, thinking mm-hmm. that they are probably in there, whether they are... They have the most mentions. I'm not sure. But let's say numbers. Oh, Kieran, you went the correct way between Leviticus and numbers there because numbers does have more lords. Numbers has 356 lords. So there's only seven lords in it. Only has seven lords more than Exodus, but Leviticus actually wow. has two hundred and eighty-one. Okay. So Leviticus would have been an uh, incorrect okay. answer. Okay, so well wow. done. Yep, Numbers mm, man. is the next highest uh, 
356. Deuteronomy has 439. Um, Psalms has 710, which is the best answer. Uh, 710 lords in the Psalms. Ah, okay. I would not have. I would not have thought of Psalms uh, as an answer. That wouldn't have occurred to me. Interestingly. And then Isaiah 418, Jeremiah 626, Ezekiel 403 lords. So those are the correct answers mm. to that question. Well, you're doing great, Kieran. Okay. Clean sweep so far. Points in every question. Um, <laughs> well. Number five is actually a bonus round. It's a, it's a harken back to your uh, praise your cards right. Um, <laughs> so this is a higher or lower uh, through the Pentateuch, through the first five books of the Bible. So right, right. Genesis has a nice round 50 chapters. Can you higher or lower your way through the rest of the Pentateuch? So 50 oh. chapters in Genesis. Do you think Exodus yeah. has fewer or more chapters than Genesis? That is such a great question, man. <laughs> this I like this a lot. I think that Exodus, I think I'm going to say that it has less. Okay. I think oh, I'm going to take it as your final answer because <laughs> yeah. it is correct. Exodus has oh, 40 yeah. chapters. So Genesis has 50, okay, Exodus okay. has 40. So we're on Exodus with 40. Leviticus comes next. Leviticus... Higher or lower than Exodus? Leviticus, in my mind, is a very, very long book. <laughs> it certainly feels long when you're reading it, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, it's part of God's amazing word, so not, not dissing it. Absolutely. But it is one of the books that's maybe tougher to read mm -hmm. without, you know, some uh, supporting literature yep. in hand. So you're saying uh, it feels longer, but do you think it is it, longer? It, yeah, it feels longer, so I'm going to go with what I feel. Okay. Uh, and say that it's longer. Leviticus has 27 chapters. Oh, Oof. not many. Not, but oh, they're big. They are big. I bet they're, they're big. To be fair, I haven't written down how many words are in each book, and that, that's really, yeah, no. really why I should do. No, that's do. fair enough. Uh, but I'm that's afraid we're at 27, so you lose a life there, but let's mm. keep on going anyway. Okay. Deuteronomy. Okay. More or less than 27 chapters in Deuteronomy. I'd be amazed if it was less, so I'm going to go higher. Okay. Well, you are correct. It has 36 <laughs> chapters. Well done. Mm. And our final numbers. More or less than 36. I'm going to go higher again. Okay. I think probably more. I think more. Well. Yeah. Drum roll, please. The numbers has 34 chapters. Oh. It has fewer chapters than Deuteronomy, I'm afraid. Oh, man. Oof. man. That last round was a toughie, but, uh, you know, it's still definitely a win overall. He did, he did good in my top trumps mm. uh, Bible quiz there, Kieran. Well done. Mm. Man, Michael, I always appreciate your games, but that was excellent. <laughs> really, I hope you listeners enjoyed that too, because I had a fantastic time. Well, and uh, thank you for putting forth a game that has actual answers <laughs> and has a has a win state as well, because it seems it's been a long time since I did that. So, <laughs> well, you know, sometimes you just have to model what you want people to uh, to do and hope that they uh, hope that they also come up with things with win states. All answers. right, all right, I I get the hint. I'll start my spreadsheet tomorrow. I don't know, I don't know what will be on it, uh, but I'll think of something. Biblical animals.
<laughs> top, top Trump's Bible animals. But anyway, all of that is to say, cheers, Michael. You're welcome. That was fun. Thank you. Good job. Well done. You smashed it. So, Michael, my question for you today is, well, it was it's inspired by a headline I recently saw that Jeff Bezos, the head honcho of uh, the lead guy of Amazon, mm-hmm. CEO of Amazon, I don't know if he is the CEO or whatever equivalent role, mm-hmm. is on his way to being the world's first trillionaire, I think. Wow. Which is a mind-blowing fact, if true. Yep. Um, and it got me thinking, is it moral for billionaires, trillionaires even, to exist? Mm. I'm not saying, I hasten to add, I'm not saying that people who have lots of money are worse people than other people. Mm. That's not what I'm saying. But my question is more around the sort of uh, world systems and the social and economic apparatus that allow us to be in a situation where some people have loads and loads of money yeah. and other people have none at all. Yeah. And is is it is it moral that we live in a world where that can happen? And to expand that a little bit further, because I want to sort of get to what sort of practical application does that question have for us as Christians? So here's the question behind that question. In terms of how we use our money, should we as Christians try to change the world through charitable giving? Or is it a better use of our time to push for economic reform so that we're, you know, distributing wealth more fairly and people on the lowest rungs of society, as it were, have more? Mm. Is it more important to encourage people to give to charity or is it more important to encourage people to uh, campaign and be politically active so that we create a world where people are paid better, where people have better you know, benefits, uh, where healthcare is a right instead of something that you, know, you can be bankrupted in certain countries, not to name any names. You could be bankrupted by becoming seriously ill. Uh, you know, mercifully, that can't happen here in the UK. Mm. Uh, but there are places where it can happen. And to me, that's a very frightening, frightening idea. Yeah. Um, so charity versus welfare reform. Great question. And billionaires. Yeah, great, great question. <laughs> sorry, it's, sorry, it's a whole, sorry, it's a whole stack of questions, but, but you know me. Yeah, no, it's, it's super important. And you're really crossing the streams here because like, we're already talking about religion, which is controversial enough. And now we're going to talk about money as well. So, you know, <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing that's going to make people more uncomfortable than having to talk about money. And my initial reaction to this question is, uh, I don't want right, right. to talk about that because it, it's awkward, of course. Um, but it is, it is a subject that the Bible deals with at length in a number of places. And, uh, and also the places that it talks about money are, are fairly well known. What I would say mm. is mm. that, what I would start with saying is that God cares about what you do with your money. Um, God cares about the way you use every resource that he's given us. And I think that some people might might feel like that's not really a part of their faith. It's not really a part of their walk with God. It doesn't really have to be taken into consideration. Most people I know don't feel that way, but I think there are people out there that feel that way. Um, so 
yeah, I think that's the first challenge really. Mm. And then the next mm. challenge is to what extent can we expect change? <laughs> you know, uh, I don't want to not answer your question, but if sometimes it just feels like, how are you going to live in a world in which people don't accrue a massive amount of wealth? Because it is an uneven world and it has been for a very long time and wealth generation has been uneven for a long time and political movements don't seem to really change that neither of us are political analysts but we read sure. and we know stuff and it doesn't seem to me that marxist culture or communist culture or other other political leanings which purport to be at least ideologically more even in practice end up being more even because people are selfish People are inherently selfish, mm -hmm. inherently mm -hmm. care about their own interests, um, and inher inherently also people are insecure and in need of purpose. And that's mm -hmm. why we mm -hmm. desire security, and financial security is one of those things. So I think money mm -hmm. is a matter of heart, and I think the Bible says that, isn't it? Man can't serve two masters. Um, yeah. And where you're where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Absolutely. And for me, it's a question of, are we a, a nation of Christians? Are we a, a church full of Christians? Are we as a church, as a global church? Is our heart with Jesus? Are we willing to, uh, you know, leave everything, take up our cross and follow Jesus? Are we willing to not pack a bag, not bring a second shirt and follow Jesus? Are we willing to mm. act to sell everything we have and give to anyone who has need and follow Jesus and devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? You know, all these kind of well-known verses. Or are we going to try to continue to gather wealth in order to feel more secure? or as a purpose. So that's one side of it. And mm. and mm. that and, and when I say all those things, I say them to me as much as anything else because I am very well off. You know, I live in the UK. I have food on the table. We have some savings in the bank. You know, we 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 have a roof over our heads. We have jobs. It's not like I have sold everything I own and given, to, uh, you know, I we tithe and we give a, on top of our tithe to charity that we're passionate about sure. and we serve the church and we try to, you know, do what we can, but we don't, we don't, we've not sold everything we own. I have things mm. that I don't need. Mm. So there's that. And then there's the argument to say, well, mm. you know, I, I often fall upon this example, but you know, the Bill Gates foundation seems to have done a huge number of positive things for the world. Um, and you know, many rich people, have committed to giving away huge proportions or all of their wealth before they die through various foundations and various charitable projects. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. throw it back to you. Rich people exist. Will yeah. they ever not exist? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's, it's a good... Uh, uh, that is a very good uh, counterpoint, absolutely. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right, bro, in terms of um, fundamentally, uh, we can look at political reform and those kinds of things to try and make the world a more just place. Mm. I believe that we can use those systems uh, and 
um, be active politically in a way that glorifies God. Yeah. Um, but the systems themselves are not the gospel. The mm. systems themselves are not going to save people because whatever history has clearly demonstrated to us, I think conclusively really at this point, that whatever tr- kind of social and economic system you try and implement in your society, uh, you have to factor in that people are people mm. and that we are to a, to a deep level self-interested. And so we are not... And any any world system is going to be skewed by the flaws and imperfections of people. Mm. Absolutely. So yeah, with with the billionaires and and millionaires thing, uh, I, I mean it's interesting you bring up Bill Gates because you know not not to pick on him or his foundation, but I wonder is it the best use of resources for one person or even a small group of people say? to have all that money and for one person, whoever they are, who may be a millionaire or a billionaire, to have all of the responsibility of saying, well, this is my money. Mm. I'm now going to channel this through. Do you know what I mean? I I, I guess as I was formulating this question, I was thinking about how um, the Old Testament, and I'd have to, you know, I I don't confess, I don't have scriptures to hand, Mm. exact ones, but when... uh, in in the Pentateuch, when God lays out a model for His people about uh, about giving and uh, giving to the temple and uh, giving a tithe of what you make mm. or or earn or whatever, um, I think in many ways you could argue that those things were intended to create a welfare state. Mm. Um, obviously, that was a very different time. It yeah. was a time without any sort of elected government. Mm. It was a time when you know. Uh, the appointed leader of the nation heard directly from God, and then those instructions were distributed, you know, amongst the people. Yeah, um, that's not the that's not the situation we're in. Yeah, uh, and so it's hard to make direct comparisons. Mm. Um, but I, I I just wonder if the billionaire philanthropy thing is a little bit of an excuse for wealthy people to hold on to money mm. <laughs> i guess that's what i'm wondering just i'm just throwing throwing that question out yeah i think uh, just to speak to your point before i answer your question which is i think looking at the old testament model of tithing and other things i think i really love the that picture of first fruits that that we are uh, that we're shown mm. there and i think rather than thinking of a tithe i think it can quite often be useful to think of it as first fruits because they were called to give not just a percentage, but the first and best part um, of what they mm. had, and that is mm. not that's not just about a quantity. It's about a quality and a position of the human heart. It's about saying, "Yeah, my first response to receiving is to give back to God," and yeah. in that way, it's in line with what I first said, which is God cares about what you do with your money. And he cares about what you do with mm. your resources. Mm. And if you are obedient in saying the first and best part of what I have is yours, God, and therefore by extension, all of what I have is yours, God. And if you call me to use it, then I will use it. And that can be a very difficult position to take. I think, you know, mm. to the billionaire philanthropist point, I just don't see a way around it because like, what's the alternative? Uh, all billionaires should have to give 95% of their income to the government through taxes, <laughs> and then the government decides what to do with it, then who who ultimately is deciding what to do with it? 
a small room full of small people who have a narrow scope and a narrow a narrow picture of what they think mm, they should do with the mm. money. Whether it's a billionaire philanthrop- philanthropist's uh, trustees of the charity, or whether it's um, and I think most like uh, wise and uh, and honest billionaire philanthropists <laughs> would probably appoint a bunch of trustees and other people of different interests and different uh, as like different life experiences to try and best steward their giving. Sure. Um, but sure. either way, like it's always going to come down to a small group with a blinkered vision of how to spend money, and they're always going. To, and and when it when it's government, then it's all then it's generally going to be people with a singular political viewpoint. Um, whereas sometimes with trusts and charitable organizations, you might at least get some variance in the viewpoints. So I, I'm not sure mm. there's a way mm. around it, other than like you say, mm. massive political and social reform, but people aren't going to do that because it's been shown that people vote against greater welfare states and other things because they themselves want to be wealthy one day and uh, don't want to have a political system which penalizes the wealthy because it's an aspirational mm. position to be in. I think I think you make an interesting point in terms of uh, our is is the money being in the hands of government significantly better than it being in the hands of, say, a trust set up by a wealthy, a wealthy person or a wealthy family? Yeah. And I think that's a good question. I, I, my, my feeling is it's certainly a little bit better, in, uh, arguably, uh, but, um, and I, I am certainly uh, in favour of um, taxing the wealthiest in our society and having mechanisms to distribute that to people in, in need. Um, but... I guess I I just I find what uh what sticks with me the most is is what you're saying about what's going on in the human heart mm. and the call to give and not only a call to give but a call to give first fruits and that's actually quite challenging to me personally yeah. in terms of how I manage my money um you know I I think again and I think we've just talked about this parable before but the parable of the the talents where several servants are given bags of money and there's one guy who because he fears the lord he fears his master as in he's like afraid frightened of punishment he uh he hides hides his bag of money and does nothing with it and he's called a wicked and lazy servant for not being responsible with the resources that god gave him mm. so we could we could uh clearly have a an, an ongoing discussion about the sort of broader mechanisms and government uh, and how they do or don't uh, make our society fairer and better. Um, but I think you're right that ultimately we all have a personal responsibility before the Lord to manage our own money well. Yeah. And uh, I think a beautiful invitation in Scripture to, to be generous as well. Well, Michael, appreciated your thoughts in that discussion. We are nearly out of time. If people want to get in touch with us, though, although we're not here for the next couple of weeks, but we will be picking up emails after that, how can they get in touch with us, Michael? Well, Kieran, they can email us at hello at holyhalfhour.co.uk. 
That's right, Michael. It's hello at Holy Half Hour, and we would love to hear from you if you feel like getting in touch with us. I also want to say, as we wrap up, uh, it means so much to us if you, uh, when people share this show with with friends, family, whoever you think might be interested, uh, we we are very grateful to all of you who are doing that. So thank you. And I think that's about it, Michael. Thanks once again. Thank you, Karen. You're a good egg. <laughs> <laughs> Takes one to know one. And uh, I'll see you on the next one, Michael and everybody else. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>